0: From LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support for LPM podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. A listener note. This story is about rape investigations and includes descriptions of sexual violence. Snap. I was awake and hysterical and confused and scared but i wasn't like clear thoughts it was i could at least speak and i just like like fight or flight i guess i just went into um like protective screaming mode and i was just screaming at him what happened what happened why is all this blood here i mean i'm panicking and I just remember him putting khaki pants on and, like you've seen in the movies or something, literally running out the door and me saying, get back here.
1: Who are you? What the fuck happened? Like, what happened? Jen Sonato was in a hotel room on the 10th floor of the Marriott in downtown Louisville. Jen was 40, living in Valparaiso, Indiana. She came to town for work. She's a medical device rep, and she was there to oversee a surgery the next morning. On the night of January 2, 2018, Jen had dinner with the doctors who were going to be doing the surgery the next day and went back to her hotel. The hotel was under renovation and using a conference room as a makeshift bar. Jen stopped in for a glass of wine. She opened her computer to review the case one last time before bed, but then the only other person at the bar started talking to her. Jen says he told her he was also in town for work and staying in the same hotel. She remembers going outside for a cigarette with him at one point and thought it tasted funny. She remembers him giving the bartender $20 to pour her more wine, even after she said she didn't want any more. She remembers a feeling of euphoria, and then she says she can't remember much. When she came to, bits and pieces of the night came back to her, being back in her hotel room, her legs being pressed against her face, multiple men standing over her, confusion, feeling like she was trapped in her own body.
0: I was like, I'm going to have a stroke. I could not, my heart felt like it was sitting outside of me. I could not breathe. I could not talk. Like, I was on the verge of, like, a panic attack. And I just grabbed my phone, and um, it was my work phone. I couldn't find my personal phone. The only family member number I had was um, my niece, Zoe. And I called her. And my first thing to her was, Zoe, Something really bad just happened to me. Grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, write down every single thing I'm telling you, so you can find me. Because I was for sure that I was gonna die.
1: Nine one one operator, you, where is your emergency? Uh, Two eighty West Jefferson, the Louisville Marriott
0: downtown. Tell me exactly what happened.
1: We're not sure if it's a rape case or if, you know, a beating or anything, I'm not sure exactly what the situation is, I believe that we probably need a LMPD just to be here on the safe side. This is D.I.G., a podcast from the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Media. This season, prosecution declined, the results of a year-long look at how rape cases are investigated and prosecuted here in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm Eleanor Klippanoff. Louisville Metro Police came to the hotel, and they took Jen to the hospital. She gave a statement to a detective over the phone later that week, and a few weeks later, she came back to Louisville for another interview. Later that month, she met detectives in Indianapolis to do a photo lineup. She believes there were multiple men in the room that night, but she only recognized one, the man from the hotel bar. She identified him out of the police photo lineup as the man who raped her. She called and emailed and followed up on her case with the police. It's been almost two years since that night. Jen's been in therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder and dealing with injuries she says she got during the rape, a dislocated tailbone and a ruptured breast implant. Louisville police have ended their investigation and cleared her case. That is supposed to mean that police have identified a suspect They know where that person is, and they have probable cause to support arresting and prosecuting them. But in Jen's case, they didn't arrest the suspect. Because according to LMPD records, there was an exceptional reason beyond their control that stopped them. That reason was a prosecutor. Louisville police allow prosecutors to decide whether or not an arrest is made in rape cases.
2: The difference, I think, between LMPD and a lot of jurisdictions is the sex crimes unit... Contacts our office about almost all of their cases, whereas a lot of jurisdictions, the police will only bring cases that they think are viable or that they've gotten to a certain level in the investigation.
1: That's Jefferson County Assistant Commonwealth Attorney Christy Gray. She prosecutes sex crime felonies in Louisville, and she told me in 2018 that her office is more involved in rape investigations than prosecutors in most cities would be, and that that collaboration helps build stronger cases. In general, it's good for prosecutors to be consulted during tricky investigations. But in Louisville, what we're talking about goes a step further.
2: Essentially, it all comes down to whether or not, as a prosecutor, I believe that the evidence supports um, our burden, which is beyond a reasonable doubt.
1: That means if prosecutors don't think they can get a conviction, police don't make an arrest. But in most of these cases, police were able to mark the cases cleared anyway. That's unusual. Rape is the only crime Louisville police handle this way, taking almost every case to the Commonwealth Attorney's Office and waiting to make an arrest until a prosecutor is convinced they can prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. Over a three-year period, Louisville police cleared 2.5% of all cases because a prosecutor declined them. But they cleared 40% of all rape cases that way. And Louisville is doing this more frequently than other cities. In fact, among large police agencies, Louisville has the sixth highest rate of rape cases cleared without an arrest. That came from a recent national investigation by Reveal, ProPublica, and Newsy. By clearing these cases, LMPD is saying they have a suspect and probable cause to make an arrest, but don't, for a reason beyond their control. When I first started looking into this last year, I took those findings to Louisville Metro Police spokesperson Jesse Halliday implication that you make when you phrase it that way is that we know who a bunch of rapists are and we choose not to prosecute them. It's not our implication. By clearing these cases, LMPD is saying they know who a lot of accused rapists are and they have enough evidence to make arrests. But they're not because they're letting someone else make that call, the prosecutors. And in cases where police say an arrest could have been made, prosecutors say no far more often than they say yes. I've spent the last year looking at the cases behind these numbers. I've reviewed cases that were presented to prosecutors early in the investigation, in some cases before the suspect was interviewed. A deep dive into Jen Sonato's case raises questions about whether the police are violating their own rules and FBI guidelines by clearing rape cases prematurely. Police and prosecutors say the screening process builds stronger cases. But that's not translating into a higher arrest rate or more rape convictions. In rape cases where police have a suspect and probable cause to make an arrest, it's three times more likely the case will be cleared by exception than by arrest. Think about it like a funnel. At the top of the funnel are all the rapes reported to Louisville Metro Police in 2017, 194 in total. Police cleared 122 of those cases, but then the funnel narrows quite a bit. Only 30 of those cases were cleared by arrest. The others were cleared by exception. That's an FBI term for cases that could be cleared by arrest, but there's an exceptional circumstance beyond law enforcement's control. Clearing a case by exception isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's so police agencies aren't penalized when they've done all the investigating they can do, have solved the case, but, for example, the suspect is dead, or the victim asks police not to make the arrest. There's no point in keeping that case open, but it can't be cleared by arrest. So, cleared by exception. Of 122 cases that were cleared in 2017, 92 were cleared by exception, mostly because prosecutors declined them. I shared these numbers with Jen Sonato. It was the first time she'd heard them.
0: I am, I'm actually, like, speechless.
1: What's going on? (laughs) That's what we want to find out. That's basically what we're looking at. That's the question we're trying to answer. The police and prosecutors I talked to don't remember when exactly they started screening rape cases like this. Louisville prosecutor Christy Gray said it was just a natural collaboration that started a few years back, but it's become more formalized over time. I first interviewed Gray in late 2018 when I started looking into Louisville's high rates of exceptional clearance in rape cases. Nearly a year later, I know a lot more about her office's role in investigating and prosecuting rape cases in Louisville, and I also have a lot more questions. I asked to interview Gray and her boss, Tom Wine, the elected Jefferson County Commonwealth attorney, for this story. They both declined and said Gray had already answered my questions. So here's what Gray told me in December 2018. She said the main reason they decline cases before the police make an arrest is because they're honoring a victim's wishes.
2: In a number of cases where we have a named suspect, the victim has said, I, I want the investigation closed. And so we'll screen the case and decline prosecution mainly at the request of the victim. But one of the reasons that we screen it, rather than just have LNPD close out the investigation, is so that we can talk about um, if something else happens, if this victim changes their mind down the road, is there anything else we need to do now to try to build the case?
1: There's a lot of reasons a victim of sexual assault might not want to go forward, even after taking the difficult step of reporting to the police. Some of that is just the nature of sex crimes. They're intimate, they're personal, the perpetrator could be a partner or a family member— the victim is often the only witness and the main source of physical evidence. And generally, experts agree that a victim's wishes should be taken into account, particularly for a crime like rape, where a victim's no has already been ignored. To follow that up with the criminal justice system, then... Um, you know, pursuing an investigation which which will be very difficult and disruptive against their wishes. um, It seems like a questionable proposition. Kim Lonsway is the research director at the nonprofit advocacy group End Violence Against Women International. It's not likely to be successfully prosecuted and the person who's going to pay the price for that is the victim. Except in rare circumstances, many police agencies don't make an arrest if a rape victim asks them not to. The FBI has a category for those cases. Cleared by exception, victim refused to cooperate. Police can only clear a case that way if they've otherwise reached the end of their investigation, have identified a suspect, and have probable cause to make an arrest. But in Louisville, those cases get screened with a prosecutor too. And then police have been marking them cleared by exception, prosecution declined. LMPD officials told me it's less victim blaming to screen it with a prosecutor than to put the closure on the victim. And that's why so many cases are marked that way. After a colleague and I started reporting on this last year, LMPD said it would start separating out cases cleared at the victim's request. Here's LMPD Lieutenant Shannon Lauder, the head of the Special Victims Unit, in a recent interview. We have rectified the situation by creating a new option of victim requests case closure. So I think you're going to see those numbers shift to a more accurate depiction of why the, the cases are being closed. My review of all the rape cases in 2017 shows that only a small portion of cases end because the victim explicitly asks for it to be cleared. More commonly, police screen cases with prosecutors after a victim stops cooperating. They don't return phone calls, they don't show up for interviews, or they're unwilling to answer questions. Like in one case I reviewed, where a woman came to the hospital after having a seizure. While there, she told police that her boyfriend was controlling, that he had raped and strangled her two days earlier— and he hadn't let her go to the hospital. She had a rape kit, and no semen was found, but the nurse documented nearly a dozen injuries. The woman told police to contact her at her mother's number. She said she didn't have a phone. She missed her initial interview, and police called her at her mother's number three more times. Then they presented the case to the prosecutor. Declined. Experts told me, this happens. Victims stop cooperating. But not in a vacuum. How police respond to a victim, starting from that first 911 call, can make a difference. For example, let's go back to Jen Sonato in her hotel room, panicking after she says she was raped by a man she met at the hotel bar. It's three in the morning on a Wednesday when Louisville Metro Police Officer Jeremy Wright arrives. He's with four other male officers and one female officer. He's wearing a body camera.
0: Pauly, is open the door, please.
1: I think there was like five or six officers,
0: and um, I was really like nervous, like even open the door to them. How you doing? Fine. You care sure if I come in? Sure. And when I opened the door, they all came in, and I was like, kind of. I just remember kind of like walking backwards, like, oh my god, why are they all coming in? I remember speaking really quickly, like I was trying to tell them what had happened, but I was also trying to put together what had happened. What's going on? You hear by yourself or somebody
2: else in here or what? No, maybe so. So what's going on?
0: I came in town to do a medical procedure at Norton's tomorrow. We went to a um, corporate dinner and I went to the bar tonight, mm-hmm. talked to a guy all of a sudden, I have no idea what has happened. You feel like you've been poisoned, or you need to go to the hospital, or something. What? You want to go to the hospital, and get checked out?
2: I don't know what has happened. Oh. Like, all
0: right. so the guy I was talking to, all of a sudden, like. I don't know what just happened, and then, like, there's blood everywhere, and I told this one guy, I was like, I don't know who you are. So he was in your room? And he was like, it's okay? And then the, I, don't, I don't recognize him, and there's blood, and my insides hurt. It felt like I was, like, um, trying to convince them or something. And they were all just, like, standing by the door, and I could just, like, I almost couldn't see the door. So it started, like, freaking me out a little
1: bit. Officer Wright points his flashlight at the bed. Jen sees the blood and panics. No, please don't do that. Listen, oh my stop, god. Stop. Please listen, don't
0: calm, do that. Calm down and listen, okay?
1: He puts his hands on her upper arms, almost like he's holding her in place. She's covering her face. Jen's five foot one, 105 pounds. He stands at least a head taller than her. I'm, oh
2: my god.
0: Listen to me. I understand you're hysterical. And you don't I'm not hysterical! Something like that. Right. Happens. Take a deep breath. Calm down. I, Can you shut the door, please? Can you shut the door, we please? We are here to help you, okay? There was a wine glass um by the TV. And I just remember that one officer, like, kind of pointed to it and saying something like, Oh, been partying tonight. I understand that you've been drinking tonight. Excuse L- me? Listen to me. Just done. listen to me. Nobody's accusing you of anything. I've been drinking tonight. No. Okay. Listen to I me. I actually hadn't had that much to drink tonight. Okay. All right. How much have you had to drink tonight? I didn't feel listened to at all. I felt like it was putting me more in a panic.
1: Jen asks to talk to the female officer alone. The five male officers file out into the hallway. Officer Wright, the one who just grabbed her by the arms and told her she was hysterical, tells the other officers and the hotel's night manager what he thinks is going on.
0: Problem we got, she's drunk. Stupid drunk. We get these a lot too in the hotels where people get probably have more than they should have and then invite people back to their room and then they say they got raped. So I, I rather err on the side of caution they take her off so when I break them they say hey, nothing happened again. we not going. But from the story she's telling it sounded consensual to a point so.
2: Here's
1: the story she's telling. So far she has said she was drinking with a man at the bar. She remembers kissing him, but she said she had no intention of having sex with him, and told the man that. She said there might have been more than one man in her room. She said her insides hurt. Something bad had happened. To Officer Wright, that all sounded consensual to a point. Inside Jen's hotel room, the female officer, Ashley Spratt, seems convinced that a crime had occurred. She tells Jen not to touch anything, it might be evidence, and encourages her to go to the hospital for an exam. But Jen has picked up on the other officers' skepticism.
0: He's already like, yeah, we don't believe
1: you. No, that's not Like, I'm like a, like, I'm... No, I, no. Come on. LMPD declined to make police chief Steve Conrad available for an interview. They didn't respond to an interview request for Officer Wright. Instead, I spoke with Lieutenant Shannon Lauder, who oversees LMPD's Special Victims Unit. She said she wants patrol officers to respond with compassion to sexual assault victims. She had not reviewed the body camera footage from Jen's case, but I told her some of what Officer Wright said that night. Police officers are humans, and they're comparing notes, and obviously we wouldn't want them saying something like that in front of a victim or making assumptions without evidence, but I don't necessarily know that they violated a policy. But their approach had an effect on Jen. She went to the University of Louisville Hospital for a rape kit exam, which documented multiple vaginal lacerations. At her hotel room, one of the officers had asked her if she was on her period, she said she recently had been, but it had ended. One of the lacerations was actively bleeding. An LPD detective came to the hospital to talk to Jen. She said she asked the nurse,
0: Is it a man? I think I told the nurse about the other officers. Like, no way, no how. I am not talking to another police officer, not another guy. I'm not talking to those guys again. And she's like, no, 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 this guy is different. He's a detective. You know, I'm sorry, like, they, they didn't treat you correctly, but this person will. He's trained just in this. Um, you won't get that same treatment. And I was just still so scared. And I just said, no, like, I don't want to talk to him. And she said, you don't have to right now.
1: Jen says she didn't talk to the detective. LMPD records indicate she did talk to him and didn't want to report at that time. Jen strongly disputes that claim and says she didn't know that they weren't going to proceed with the investigation that night. Kim Lonsway from End Violence Against Women International didn't comment on this specific case, but she said in general, police should not be putting the victim in the position of deciding whether or not a case moves forward that first night at the hospital. You know, someone's had an exam. They've already often been up all night, um, may have drugs and alcohol on board. Um, They don't know what they want to do yet. They're still in trauma. That's not the time necessarily to do a detailed interview. Jen had already told the patrol officers at the hotel much of what had happened that night. They could have tracked down the bartenders. They could have pulled security footage. They could have found the guy Jen accused to get his side of the story. But they didn't. LMPD left the hotel that night when Jen did. LMPD spokesperson Jesse Halliday said the most important thing is honoring a victim's wishes. But it is part of what makes sexual assault cases difficult.
2: We understand
1: the specific incidences of sexual assault victims. And how often they will change their mind. But at that time, if she's telling us she does not want to proceed, it would be a violation to go into her personal space, whether that's a hotel or her home, and start gathering up the signs of that. But that is a risk. And that is one of the dangers for victims when it takes some time to report because it does impede the evidence collection. But I do not believe that is a fault of the Louisville Police Department for honoring her wishes and not going in and collecting that. Jen says it was LMPD's fault. The conduct of the patrol officers at the hotel left her scared and reluctant to talk further about what had happened. Her son and brother came to Louisville to bring her home. She took a shower, she got some sleep, and 48 hours later, she was ready to talk to a detective. She had no idea that, by then, valuable evidence had been lost. A hotel employee had saved the wine glass and some of Jen's clothes and offered it to the police. But the scene had not been preserved, so police didn't get other physical evidence, like the bloody bed linens or the orange lighter Jen told the officers the man had left behind in her room. After what she experienced that night, Jen said she could understand why other victims stop responding or don't want to cooperate with the police. Prosecutors here in Louisville say that's the main reason they declined cases, because the victim doesn't want to go forward. But Jen did. Prosecutors would end up declining her case for another very common reason. A reason that seemed faded from that very first night. A lack of evidence. Next time on Dig. There was so much talk about
0: make a case for the prosecutor, the prosecutor. I felt like the prosecutor was the wizard of Oz. And I thought surely a prosecutor's gonna see. They're for the people, right? Dig was reported by Eleanor Clivenoff, edited by Kate Howard, and produced by Laura Ellis. Jake Ryan and Alexander Kanick contributed to the reporting. Kojin Toshiro created our theme music with assistance from Ryan Marsh, photos by Tyler Franklin, and illustrations by Carrie Newmyer. We received support for this project from the Solutions Journalism Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems. Special thanks to Katherine Winter, Erica Peterson, Ashley Clark Thompson, and Jonies Franklin. See the photos and documents behind the story at kydig.org. From the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Media.
2: My name is Keeley Sorensen and I'm the Vice President of Victim Services at Rain, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. The National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-HOPE. The goal of the National Sexual Assault Hotline is really to help survivors and their loved ones learn more about sexual violence and take the next steps that they feel ready to take in their healing journey. What we want people to know is that if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual violence, please consider reaching out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline. We operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, both online and by telephone. 1-800-656-HOPE. We are here for you and we believe you.
0: Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at VisionZeroLouisville.org.
2: <laughs>